There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Tonight on The Readout. Imagine that. I actually need to you turn leave criminals on the street, you get more crime. Instead, they let bad guys roam the street. What better place to start than New York City, where videos of violent, senseless attacks appear almost daily. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Jim Jordan's New York City field trip this week is part of the radicalization of the American right, joining forces with right-wing media like Fox and with the NRA to create an atmosphere of vigilantism through a never-ending campaign of fear. Also tonight, how Fox's settlement of the biggest media defamation case in history allows them to keep spreading dangerous misinformation. But they do have many more legal challenges ahead which you will probably never hear about on their shows. Plus, 94 shots fired by police, killing black motorist Jalen Walker, and none of the eight officers involved will face any consequences. But we begin tonight with the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu and what he said were the three hardest words to say, I am sorry. In 2014, he wrote, we can come up with all manner of justifications to excuse what we have done. When we are willing to let down our defenses and look honestly at our actions, we find there is, an, there is a great freedom in asking for forgiveness and great strength in admitting the wrong. It is how we free ourselves from our past errors. It is how we are able to move forward into our future, unfettered by the mistakes we have made. Unfortunately, I Am Sorry was too hard for Fox to utter as part of its $787 million settlement with Dominion Voting Systems, the largest settlement by a media company in history. As Vice News explains, there was no apology for repeatedly airing the lies that played a key role in convincing a large swath of Americans that the 2020 election was rigged, which did irreparable damage to voters' trust in the Democratic system. Not even a peep. And what that signals, which may not be all that surprising, is that Fox's behavior is not likely to change. Well, except perhaps causing their anchors to use a self-deleting text platform to exchange their true views about Donald Trump, their viewers, and what's happening in the news. Fox is not out of the legal woods yet, however, when it comes to their coverage following the 2020 election. They are facing another defamation lawsuit from yet another election technology company, Smartmatic, which is demanding a whopping $2.7 billion in damages. That company made it clear after the Dominion settlement was announced that it is not backing down. In a statement, Smartmatic said, Dominion's litigation exposed some of the misconduct and damage caused by Fox's disinformation campaign. Smartmatic will expose the rest. Showing that a leopard never changes its spots, Fox responded with its failed Dominion defense, telling Axios, there is nothing more newsworthy than covering the president of the United States and his lawyers making allegations of voter fraud. Except that Judge Eric Davis already shut down that defense from being used in the Dominion trial, telling Fox's lawyers in a pretrial hearing, quote, just because somebody is newsworthy doesn't mean you can defame somebody. 
And then there are the pair of lawsuits from former Fox News producer Abby Grossberg, alleging that the network had a toxic workplace culture of discrimination and that company lawyers coerced and intimidated her into providing misleading testimony when she was questioned in a deposition in the Dominion case. Ms. Grossberg was fired by Fox after she filed her suit. Fox says her legal claims are, quote, riddled with false allegations. Ms. Grossberg also handed over several audio recordings that she made featuring Rudy Giuliani and other Trump allies admitting that they had no evidence of any issues with Dominion voting machines. Fox failed to provide those recordings to Dominion during discovery, leading to sanctions from the judge. Joining me now is Jerry Filippatos, the attorney for former Fox News producer Abby Grossberg. And Mr. Filippatos, thank you for being here. I want to first start with that last bit there. Um, your client has uh, apparently been subpoenaed in the Smartmatic lawsuit. Is that correct? Yes. Is there anything new? Um, because we know that she does have some additional recordings. There were some things that were not turned over initially. Is there anything new that we're going to learn from her that we didn't already know from the Dominion case? First of all, thrilled to be with you, uh, Joy. And yes, there is plenty that's going to be learned uh, from uh, Abby's um, um, documents and Abby's uh, testimony, if necessary, in the Smartmatic case, uh, and of course, in our two cases. Uh, you know, Dominion, who we congratulate, I mean, it was a, certainly a, a history-making um, settlement that they that they were able to achieve, and that's that's because of the hard work of the lawyers and, frankly, the, the, the trueness of their cause. But, you know, they said that their lawsuit provides a roadmap for Smartmatic. Abby Grossberg is the star guide for that roadmap. And then talk about your case. Uh, lay out what the basis of, of your lawsuit is, because it, it does feel like she did describe an, a workplace environment that for women was a nightmare. But that's something Fox has settled lots of lawsuits about the environment in which women are forced to work over there. Um, but also the mistreatment of her anchor and this pushing her to lie. Talk about your lawsuit and how you expect that to play out. Sure. I mean, let me let me just say one thing uh, that ties into the the answer I'm going to give you, which is that one of the one of the problems that 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 uh, we have with the fact that uh, that at the end of the day, Fox didn't apologize, Fox didn't acknowledge anything in the Dominion settlement, is that Fox has a propensity to pay large settlements, notorious settlements, and then go back to what it was was doing. To our lawsuit, um, going back to the Ailes era, we know that that Fox settled um, uh, cases uh, sounding in sexual harassment, gender discrimination, etc. Uh, in the in the petering out, I guess, in 2015, 2016, it, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. And ultimately, first, that was those were private, but ultimately they became public by some uh, very dogged efforts by uh, by colleagues of mine. And so then we flash forward to sort of the end of Abby's uh, career at Fox when she was on the Tucker Carlson show, and she was subjected to one of the most heinous and 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 gross working environments I could imagine. I mean, you know, I've litigated a lot of these cases. I've been doing it for thirty years, and I thought that the the kind of 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 chauvinism and misogyny and 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 just 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 inhumane behavior that, that that existed uh on the tucker carlson show um was was unimaginable i mean the the c word bandied about like it was hello uh anti-semitism you know signs being put on on trees uh, christmas trees calling them a hanukkah bush 
um, it, it, it was just unbelievable that that this level of of inappropriate behavior still exists in the workplace. And by the way, that's only two years after Fox News was fined by the New York City Commission of Human Rights to the tune of a million dollars and then entered into somewhat like a consent decree promising it was going to change its stripes. Stripes remain the same. Wow. I mean, we, we just saw we, we just saw Fox's willingness to settle for a record sum when yeah. it came to their lies about Dominion. And as you pointed out, refused to apologize, meaning that the people who yeah. watch Fox News, who probably didn't hear any of the revelations uh, about what Tucker Carlson and others really think about Donald Trump, and what they really thought about the election, they're never going to hear it. In, in your case. I, I just to interrupt. I, I want to yeah. say that they're never going to hear it. I'm, I would say that they are very likely to hear it in the near future, because remember, Abby Grossberg went from the frying pan into the fire. First, she was at, at the Maria Bartiromo show where she suffered, you know, just classic glass ceiling discrimination, wasn't wasn't promoted to executive director, although she ran the show by herself. Uh, the weekend show for Ms. Bartiromo was rated number one, I think, in the nation on, on Sundays, and yet it had a staff of one, just just Abby. And the reason for that was because they were they were they, they had this this what we contend is an almost elegant evil plan to to essentially uh, let Ms. Bartiromo, you know, go go wild, if you will, and try to try to gain some some uh, traction in the male dominated world there. And then only when they saw that legal liability was at their doorstep, when the Smartmatic case hit, did they did they did they cool things down? And then they went went about in a very very inappropriate, coercive way. I mean, just a just an aside. The only thing that's riddled with inaccuracies is Fox News's consistent and blatant misrepresentation of Abby Grossberg's uh, position, what she did, and and also what she said to them. They they contended in open court. This astounds me. Uh, it was Wednesday of the, of the last week of the, the last day, I think, of the hearing before um, before the trial, uh, before jury selection. So Fox News attorneys are excoriated for like an hour because they essentially misrepresented uh, Rupert Murdoch uh, as not being involved in Fox News, not having right. not having been having an officer role. So after that hour, after that hour, they then go. They then say in open court that Abby Grossberg never told them about the tapes that she turned over. A hmm. lie. Well, we are going to be watching this case very closely, uh, Jerry Filipatos. Uh, we hopefully you'll come back uh, and talk about it as this continues. Thank you so much for being here. That'd really be great. appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, Cheers. Let me bring in Michael Steele, for, uh, MSNBC political analyst, former chairman of the RNC, and host of the Michael Steele podcast. I cannot wait to be on there very time, sometime very soon. Yes. Uh, you just heard what he said. The, the toxic atmosphere at Fox, to me, explains kind of what they're like on air. It, it kind of explains the kind of nastiness. It explains the misogyny because it's happening behind the scenes as well. But it also kind of really honestly, Michael, it explains a lot of what you're what's happening in the party, because right. Republicans, that's all they watch on Capitol Hill. They're watching that, too. And they're taking that in as the way you should act. Well, you, you actually raise a very interesting point. And for me, what it what it speaks to more directly, both at Fox and within the Republican Party is permission. 
Yeah. They are given permission to behave this way. Uh, as the lawyer uh, just noted, uh, the environment there um, was toxic. It was misogyny. It was gross. Well, that environment allows is allowed to exist because the higher up, starting with the owner of the company, right. um, uh, reflects that back in the way that they go, well, you know, it doesn't affect me. I don't think that's really happened. They turn a blind eye and they walk away. That is similarly what you see in playing out inside the GOP. The ugly behavior, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gates yeah. is not is not berated. It's 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 accentuated. Right. It's elevated. Um, and, and it's given the permission it needs to which is like oxygen yeah. uh, to keep going. You know, I am old enough to remember when uh, an Iowa Republican was kind of run out of town in the party for saying white nationalist things about replacement theory yeah. and about there needing to be more white babies right, yes. to replace our culture. Yes. We are now in a place where Paul Gosar is openly retweeting Nazism, and it's there's no problem with it. Where Marjorie Taylor Greene is, you know, breaking decorum. You want to talk about Tennessee breaking decorum, and you know, attacking her fellow colleagues and saying just insane things daily. And where on television you have Tucker Carlson, who is now pushing replacement theory, mm -hmm. demanding that the governor of Texas pardon a man who threatened to go out and kill Black Lives Matter protesters, and then did shoot uh, one yeah. and saying he needs to be pardoned despite the abject racism in his Facebook posts or probably because of it. It, it is a partnership, the party and Fox News. They ain't going to change. No, they're not going to change. And not only are they not going to change again, they double down and lean into it. It's why Donald Trump has dinner with uh, a Nazi, right? And yeah. you talk about, you know, tweeting Nazi tweets. I yeah. mean, let's sit down and break bread together. Yeah. So you have this environment that is, is uh, existent within the party that the leadership um, thought that they could manage and control, uh, realized very quickly, as some of us had warned them at the time, you're not going to be able to control this because you don't even understand what it is. That's right. Yeah. You don't understand what, what animates it. Uh, and so they are now sucked into it further to the point where we watch as the gavel to yeah. the speakership is given to Marjorie Taylor Greene, yeah. which under any other Republican leadership at any other time in the party's history would never yeah. have happened. It, you know, it, and it, it, what the Republican Party, I think, shares with Fox News right now is that neither of them as you said, are leading the party. Right. They're being led by the base. But the base at this point, the loud part of the base, is the furthest right, most extreme, yes. most, you know, uh, you know, Christian they found nationalist. They the that they've been looking they for for a long time. They finally took over the party. And I mean, yeah. there was a time, and you were chairman during the Tea Party era, yeah. when you had big, very, you know, you know, wealthy donors funding the Tea Party yeah. in order to create a grassroots movement that in their mind they could stay grassroots. At this point, it's above them now. Well, the, the base is gone out of control. It was and no hysterical. One Those donors have moved on. They're not, they're not even supporting half of this. They, they've now, because of uh, the, uh, the changes in our fi campaign finance law with Citizens United, they've got, they're dancing with their own little, you know, operations. So yeah. they're not even really funneling that kind of money uh, that we used to see into these organizations and these operations and candidates. A lot of that is grassroots money. Donald Trump's dollars are coming from yeah. rank and file well, the, the activists base is taking over. If Fox News doesn't have to admit that they lied about the election, if they can just pay it off right. like they did with the women who Roger Ailes and others were harassing, if, the, if all they have to do is pay money and bill that in as a cost of doing business, who, it, who has the moral authority to tell this third of the country that still doesn't believe that the election in 2020 was fair, that it wasn't? Because we've seen what they can do when they 
feel wrong. They did it on January well, 6th. And what's corrosive about that, uh, first off, no one is going no to one. tell them. Yeah. No one's going to tell them. And what's corrosive about that is that third becomes a little bit more, becomes a little bit more. Why? Because there are no consequences. That's right. You're right. Fox has baked this into their, into their, sure. their cost management. Of doing business. Cost of doing business. They don't have to apologize for it. And, and how do you know how they've set themselves in the course of this? That behavior that you taught, that you led into this conversation with, was ongoing before the trial even That's really right. got underway. Yeah. They didn't cut back. Yeah. Tucker Carlson was still putting crazy out on the airwaves. Right. People were still gobbling it up. Fox has made the calculation that the most important thing to them is that that base yep. that, Keep them that keeps them happy, keeps the lights on, yeah. and allows them to get away with what they're getting I, away I with. I never thought in my lifetime you could have a show as racist, as openly racist as Tucker Carlson's show. They, they, it's nicknamed White Nationalist Television for a reason. But you can do it now because they're giving the base what they want and can they I don't tell you care one what thing? the consequences are. Buckle yeah, up. Quick. It gets worse. Yeah, of course it More does. More of it's coming. Absolutely. Michael Steele, yep. thank you, my friend. You got it. Well, you know, scaring is caring. Scaring is caring. Up next on The Readout, how the NRA and conservative media team up to stoke fear, anger, and resentment in order to sell more guns and attract more viewers at the expense of innocent American lives. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. It's actually not uncommon to knock on someone's door. At least it shouldn't be. Plenty of folks knock on doors. The Girl Scouts used to do it during cookie fundraising season. Sometimes little kids selling candy bars, census workers, salespeople. And especially in election years, those essential election canvassers. Maybe a community member running for office. That part of American life, it seems dead these days, doesn't it? I mean, who would feel comfortable doing any of that with the tragedies that we so often hear about? A 16-year-old boy shot for going to the wrong house to pick up his younger brothers. A 20-year-old woman shot dead after her boyfriend pulled into the driveway of a home they mistakenly believed belonged to a friend. And now, two Texas cheerleaders shot, one critically, after one of them mistakenly got into the wrong car in a grocery store parking lot. This is at least the third time in a week that a young American was met with gunfire for making an apparent mistake. There's this running theme in America today where so many people walking around or behind those neighborhood doors are so heavily armed and paranoid. And more and more of these people feel increasingly empowered to shoot people based off this constant fear that danger is lurking everywhere. I wonder where that paranoia seems to be coming from. Thinking, thinking, thinking. High crime. America's crime crisis. 
Crime is a disease. We need crime control. Shootings, murder, assault, anarchy in the streets of our entire country almost. Violent offenders, they are roaming the streets. The point is disarming you so you can't defend yourself against their plans for you. The issue is not too many guns. The issue is too many thugs, hoodlums, and savage criminals on our streets. What we are seeing is the outgrowth of Fox and other right-wing media's constant message that people who don't look like you or worship like you are out to get you. And when you combine that with a country that has more guns in civilian hands than any other on Earth and NRA-backed laws that encourage people to use them, well, no wonder we can't even ring someone's doorbell anymore. Joining me now is Ryan Buss, a former firearms executive and author of Gunfight, My Battle Against the Industry That Radicalized America. And Ryan, I am just going to let you talk because, you know, it it feels to me like we've created a, a society in which the Door-to-door salesmen that sold my mom encyclopedias would be terrified to do that now because everyone's shooting. You know, Joy, thanks for having me. Um, you're exactly right. Like this, th- what we're living in now is a manifestation. It's the commercial marriage, or it's the marriage of, of a commercial operation that the NRA helped, you know, develop and foster and a political operation that the NRA helped develop and foster. They handed it off to Donald Trump. And we're we are living with the repercussions of it. Um, it, 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 it it's incredibly, you know, it, it's based on fear. It's based on hate. Um, and when you have the sort of irrational fear and hatred that the NRA, they they really had this instinctual. Um, they they had a lizard brain sort of idea that this could drive irrational political outcomes. So as we all think about, you know, we scratch our heads about how did my aunt vote this way and why do people in my workplace hate me over politics? It seems so irrational. Well, it is irrational, but fear makes people do irrational things. And when you combine that with an overt marketing policy and strategy from the firearms industry that basically taps into that fear, and then propagates that fear and fuels that fear. And Donald Trump puts it on steroids evermore. I mean, consider this. There were 56 million guns sold into the United States public between 2020 and 2022. 56 million. And a lot of those guns, unlike the good old days of gun ownership, and I remain a proud gun owner. um, I, I hunt and shoot with my boys every chance we get. But we believe in responsibility. We believe in the sort of gun ownership that you don't wear it on your sleeve. You don't own guns because you hate people. You're not trying to own the libs and you're damn sure not trying to shoot the libs. And I think what we're living with now is a manifestation of, of all of this just run amok. Well, I mean, the thing is that the vast majority of gun owners agree with you and wouldn't let their kids pose for a picture aiming a gun at the camera. But you have a good percentage of the country who own the preponderance of the weapons and the firearms and who are mainlining things like Fox News that are constantly saying black lives matter is terroristic. Black people are coming to get you. It's all crime. It's all crime. And, you know, what, what's frightening about that is that the NRA has pushed these laws like stand your ground that I think have convinced people. They've always been, you know, racist people, horrible people. But now they think they could get away with shooting people because of those laws. Yeah, we're we are living with that now. And I think just like the politics of the right, just like the politics of the Republican Party, um, they think, you know, Michael Steele made the point, like, basically, they built this little campfire and they thought they could stay warm by it. But the wind came up and it's blowing across the country now. Right. This is going to engulf all of us. 
It's going to engulf Republican kids and white kids and black kids and Hispanic kids. Why? Because that sort of hatred, the sort of hatred, uh, you know, in the dark on, on a doorstep or in a car with a 20 year old girl pulling up the wrong driveway, like that sort of hatred does not discriminate. Yeah. And so when you have a system that, that arms these people and then fuels them with this just sort of incendiary uh, rhetoric from, from their media sources, I, I got news for you. Like, and as, as Michael Steele said, this is not going to get better. It's going yeah. to get a hell of a lot worse and it's going to be yeah. up to us to fix it. And I think it's it's ended empathy. I mean, I think of the Renisha McBride case a few years ago. This woman had a car accident. She staggers toward a house. She's asking for help. She ends up getting shot. You know, and this you got to wonder what's going on in the minds of somebody who would do that or would shoot little uh, little Ralph Yarl, who's a kid who rings your doorbell. Who goes to the door when they hear the doorbell with a gun in their hand? That is a huge deterioration in our society. If you have been told that you have to own guns, that, that half of the world is out to get you, that you are in existential crisis, that people literally want to snuff you out. I mean, watch Fox News for 10 minutes. You, can, yeah. I mean, hell, I'd be afraid. You know, you, know, you yeah. can't help but do it. And then you turn to firearms marketing and the firearms marketing now tells you, unlike 10 or 15 years ago, it's now off the rails. It now tells you to be afraid. It now tells you to buy guns because you need to be ready be- because some 16-year-old honor student is going to come to the door and looking for his brother. You know, what, what, what are we? Yeah. We have chosen to do our, do this to ourselves as a country, and we have to unchoose it. I agree. I can't imagine um, the mom of this young lady who pulled into the driveway of a house uh, and is now dead at 20 years old just for driving into someone's driveway. I can't imagine what her mom is feeling right now. She lost her daughter for literally no reason. And just as you said, to firearms, you know, lust and hate and and fear and panic. It's it's sad. Um, Ryan Bussey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here to talk about this um, and still ahead. How Republicans are able to retain power despite the unpopularity of so many of their policies and positions. We'll be right back. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console consoling. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet. Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film The Aviators. Now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. As you look at America today, you see a country divided. Nearly half of the states, which happen to be controlled by Republicans, are moving with blinding speed to strip millions of Americans of their basic rights. They are passing more and more pro-death gun laws, leaving their states awash in guns and death. Because of their lack of leadership, gun violence is now the leading cause of death for children and teens. And murder rates in red states are 23 percent higher than in blue states. 
Republicans are banning books and any speech that dares to address our troubled past or the existence of LGBTQ people. And if you object, they will punish you, whether you are a major conglomerate or a small town public library. They're also happy to punish citizens if they question their policies. Republicans in Ohio, Missouri, and Florida are pushing back against ballot measures, looking to make it more difficult to pass citizen-led initiatives. God forbid you should decide what you want for your state. And God forbid they see a repeat of what happened in Kansas or Michigan. They wouldn't want women actually deciding what they do with their bodies. Time after time, their policies are proven disastrous for Americans, but they don't care. And they don't care if the majority of us don't want it. They do not care that a majority of Americans support reproductive rights. They do not care that a majority of Americans support stricter gun laws. They do not care that a majority of Americans support being woke or caring about social injustice. They do not care that the majority of Americans support teaching their kids about the ongoing effects of slavery and racism in public schools. And they do not care that the vast majority of you do not want them banning books. They do not care about what you want because you, their constituents, are just standing in the way of what they want. There is no clearer case of that than District Judge Matthew Kesmarek, the anti-abortion religious extremist who believes that gay people are disordered and that being transgender is a mental disorder and who decided that every single woman in America should be denied the use of mifepristone, an abortion pill. He's the go-to judge for Republicans who want to impose their beliefs on the rest of America. And boy, did he deliver. Just a few weeks ago, he decided what all American ladies can do with their bodies, telling us we aren't allowed to use mifepristone to manage an abortion. His authoritarian ruling unleashed chaos across this country and has left healthcare workers nationwide scrambling to figure out what to do. His order was partially stayed by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, while parts of it were upheld. Earlier today, we had a new development on the chaos that this judge has unleashed on us all. And that is next. Earlier this afternoon, Justice Samuel Alito, who gleefully wrote the Dobbs opinion that denied millions of women their reproductive rights, temporarily extended women's access to the abortion pill mifepristone until Friday at midnight. And as you know, nothing good ever happens after midnight. Now, the last time that we waited on the Supreme Court, the six Christian conservatives stripped American women of our constitutional rights, which my good friends Dean Obadala and Ali Velshi noted was a curiously spot-on Christian version of something Republicans used to pretend was coming to threaten America, Sharia law. Take a listen. It's Sharia, right? If, you're a, if you believe that you don't, you don't want people to have abortion rights, but you live in America, which constitutionally says that you can't impose a state religious belief on everybody else, but you do it. That's actually Sharia. That's yeah. actually what everybody else is complaining about what Sharia is. You've taken the good book and you have made that the law book. Something that Muslims never did in America or couldn't do in America if they wanted to. Little by little, these judges are getting what they want, which is for their particular version of right wing Christianity to become the law of the land. In other words, minority theocratic rule. Joining me now is Cecile Richards, co-chair of American Bridge and former president of Planned Parenthood. And Cecile, thank you for being here. Uh, and I, I'm sorry that we only get to talk during these dark times uh, like these. How do you understand what the Supreme Court has done and how that affects the chaos that we're seeing in terms of abortion access across the country? 
Well, the tough thing is, Joy, every day women wake up, um, you know, medical providers, doctors wake up, and we're living in this political chaos, just waiting to hear like what, what the next decision is. So now the Supreme Court has pushed this decision to Friday night, which, of course, as you say, is not a not a great time uh, to get yeah. to get this kind of news. Yeah. Um, the fact that the Supreme Court is even delaying this is worrisome to me because this is a case that never should have been brought. There is absolutely no health care reason uh, to end access to mifepristone. As you've said, this is a drug that was approved decades ago. It's been safely used. It's the most commonly used form of medication to, to terminate pregnancy. Uh, and the fact that we're even having this discussion is absolutely insane. Um, this is never, you know, just like Dobbs was something we'd never seen a constitutional right taken away by the Supreme Court. We've never had a federal judge say he knows better than the entire medical establishment, including the FDA, about the safety and efficacy of a drug. Well, I mean, I think the standing question is one that has galled a lot of the lawyers that we have on the show. I mean, the, the supposed people with standing are doctor, conservative doctors who say they may, in some instance, have to treat a woman who at some point took mifepristone and winds up in the ER. Well, your job is to treat people who wind up in the ER. And women don't end up in the ER because of mifepristone. So the standing thing is wild. But what I want you to comment about, you know, Mullah Alito, when he passed, when he wrote this ruling— one of the concurring opinions was by Kavanaugh. And I'll set aside the fact that he was credibly accused of sexual assault and now gets to decide whether we can have mifepristone. What he claimed is that, no, 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 ladies, don't worry. We're not banning abortion nationally. This is going to go to the great laboratories of the states. But now it appears that they're taking that back. So the scary way to look at what the Supreme Court is doing is they're taking this long because they're trying to find a way to square what he said, what he promised, and what they really want to do, which is to find some way of supporting what this Texas judge did and upholding it. Is that what you fear? Yes, I think, look, it's really important to understand that, um, yes, the, the, and the Dobbs decision, they somehow said, oh, this is now going to be so simple. It's just going to go back to states. But of course, it's been chaos ever since. Uh, and we're seeing state by state by state make different decisions. And as we just saw, of course, Governor DeSantis in the dark of night sign an almost total abortion ban in the state of Florida, which is creating total chaos uh, for women across the country. But now this if, in fact, the Supreme Court allows this right-wing judge in Amarillo, Texas, to take away mifepristone from every single person in this country, that is effectively the first step towards a national abortion ban, which, as you say, I think is probably the goal after all. One of the things, too, I just have to point out is that, there, yes, there were a handful of doctors who brought this case in, in Amarillo, but it's really important. The American Medical Association has soundly and resoundingly said this is bad medicine, this is bad procedure. So the medical community is horrified that a single judge could take away access to a very important and effective drug um, that's used not only for abortion, but also for miscarriage management in yeah. this country. Well, I mean, and drug makers, including the maker of the generic version of mifepristone, are saying, hold on a second, they're seeing that this is a business issue, too. And then what happens when the same kind of people who dislike uh, abortion also don't like mRNA vaccines and they decide mRNA has got to be drawn off the market? Well, mRNA is now being used for cancer treatment. And they're like, well, we don't want to take the vaccine, so we want to jump dump those, too. That is a slippery slope. What do you make of the religious, though, argument, though? I mean, you have Jewish groups that are suing 
in Florida saying, wait a minute, what about our rights? This is what Jewish folks believe. Uh, they believe that for Jews, all life is precious, and thus the decision to bring new life into the world is not taken lightly or determined by state fiat. It is, it is In Jewish law, abortion is necessary if not if required to protect the health, mental, or physical well-being of women um, for many other reasons not permitted by Florida's law. So they're saying, what about our religious rights? What do you make of the fact that this one sect of so-called Christians are the ones deciding how all of us have to live? Well, I think the point is, Joy, people consider decisions about pregnancy to be deeply personal. Some of them think they are religious decisions, but at the end of the day, they are decisions that pregnant people with their families or their medical uh, providers need to be able to decide. And that's why you're seeing all across the country, in election after election, people reject politicians who are saying we're going to make these take take away these decisions from you and we're going to place it in the hands of politicians. I mean, we just saw this happen in Wisconsin. We're seeing independent voters, Republican voters saying, "No, no, no. This is actually these are decisions that are not political. These are decisions that are personal." Somehow the Republican Party seems to have missed this message, but I feel like this is going to continue to happen until they finally wake up and realize this is an American value, the freedom to make your own decisions about your pregnancy and about your family. Absolutely. Uh, that is supposed to be what liberty is, is the freedom to, to control your own body. Cecile Richards, thank you very much. And up next, an Ohio grand jury refuses to indict any of the officers who fired 94 shots at 25-year-old Jalen Walker. We'll be right back. I'm just going to be honest. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of having these conversations. I'm tired of the fact that not even in Akron, Ohio, can we get justice when 90 bullets, it's not enough. What does it take? I'm having a hard time sitting next to a family that's struggling because I feel their pain, because we all feel their pain, and we can't get justice. This week, the city of Akron, Ohio, is grappling with a grand jury decision to not charge the eight police officers who shot and killed 25-year-old Jalen Walker last summer. Ohio's attorney general says the grand jury determined that the officers were legally justified in their use of force. When what began as a traffic stop for an alleged darkened license plate turned into a car chase. Officials claim that while police were chasing Walker, he fired one shot before jumping out of his moving car and running away. Those eight officers chased him and fired 94 bullets in less than seven seconds, 46 of which hit Walker. The officers claim Walker had reached for his waistband and that they did not know he had left his gun in his car. By the way, having a gun in your car is completely legal in the open carry state of Ohio. Hundreds have gathered this week to protest the non-indictment decision, while Walker's family and local leaders are calling for the Justice Department to open an investigation into the Akron Police Department. Joining me now is Charles Coleman, Jr., civil rights attorney and MSNBC legal analyst. And Charles, let, walk through this with me. I mean, this is a DoorDash and Uber Eats driver who's driving um, and has a very minor traffic situation, and it turns into 94 shots, 64 going into his body, and yet no indictment. As a former prosecutor, can you make this make sense for me? I can't, Joy. The only thing that I can say in response to it is that American policing continues to be broken and we continue to ignore that. What you've just highlighted is exactly the problem. If you look at the narrative, I point you to the numbers. Jalen Walker is one person. 
There were eight officers who were involved here with his apprehension. Of the eight officers who were involved, only two of those officers chose to utilize non-lethal force in trying to apprehend Mr. Walker. At no point has anyone actually confirmed that Mr. Walker fired a shot at the police as he was attempting to continue to move forward. Now, here's the other thing that I want to point out about the numbers. Two officers using non-lethal force, eight officers in pursuit as far as his apprehension, and over 90 shots at this man. We know that when you're talking about a situation, what there's a difference between what you can do and what you should do. And police in this situation had a litany of other options that they chose not to explore when it came to bringing him into their custody. And that is the problem. And I said 64, I meant 46 shots, but I mean, you know, it's not as if that makes it any better. Um, there are photos, really pretty grisly photos that have been leaked um, out of the police department. You've seen them. I've seen them. They are horrific. They are honestly too horrific to, for us to show uh, on our air tonight. Um, but you can see a, a body that is literally riddled with bullets. And yet after police rained bullets down upon this young man's body, they handcuffed him. What sense does that make? This sounds like narrative building by the police, but it obviously worked. Of course it does. And it also highlights the need for greater transparency, which is why the community in Akron continues to push. This is not just a situation about Jalen Walker. There have been problems with the community and Akron policing for years. And this is just an example of how this has gotten so out of control. You're talking about a complete lack of transparency. These officers' identities have been kept hidden. They are still on the force. We don't know what investigation was held. We don't know what the results of the investigation were. And in front of the grand jury, we don't know what evidence was and was not presented. And I can tell you, as a former prosecutor, there are very few cases that I wanted to get an indictment on that I presented to a grand jury and I did not get a true bill. Do with that what you will. But what I'm saying to you is that the lack of transparency all around from all different facets of what we have seen here should be alarming and concerning. And it is exactly why people and community are pushing back in Akron, Ohio right now. And we thought after Tyree Nichols, when they immediately released not just the names, but the photos of all of the mainly African-American police officers involved in Tyree Nichols' death, that we were going to set a new standard here, where we were going to get this information. We didn't. I will note, and I'm very particularly interested in this, because you are a former prosecutor. The senior assistant attorney general, his name is Anthony Pearson, who's a career prosecutor, who presented the evidence to the grand jury, which had, uh, I believe, only uh, two black members on this grand jury, called Walker a, quote, good man who was acting totally out of character that early morning morning. What do you make of that presentation to a grand jury about the dead man? I think it's important that audiences understand that the strength of your presentation to a grand jury as a prosecutor is only as strong as your narrative. And it's also only as strong as how much you challenge the witnesses that you put on the stand. So if, for example, a police officer gets on the stand and says, well, we heard over the radio that shots were fired or that there was a shot fired, and you don't challenge that narrative as if to say, well, did you notice whether any of the windows were blocked out? Did you see a hand? Did you actually hear a shot yourself? Did you see any anyone hit be hit by a shot? And so on and so forth. The narrative that you allow to stand in front of the grand jury can be one that would prevent them from returning with a true bill. And so all of those things are really important. And if you're characterizing or mischaracterizing Mr. Walker's behavior in this moment, that has an effect as to how that grand jury perceives the case you're presenting in front of them.
And we know that there was no drugs in the system, no alcohol in the system. There's none of that. But that, that doesn't matter. You shouldn't be executed even if you did have drugs in your system or anything like that. There is a, now a civil lawsuit in this case. These cities are paying out multi-millions of dollars, but not reforming their departments. That doesn't seem like sound policy to me. It doesn't, Joy. I've said it before and I'll say it again. American policing is cultured in the spirit of violence and aggression rather than one in service and protection. And until we change into a public service, public safety model and a public service model around American policing, we're going to continue to see these high bills being paid out by municipalities, which, by the way, end up being on the backs of poor people when taxes are raised in those very cities. So it's a circular effect. We over-police communities, then we pay them because we make mistakes when we over-police them or we violate their rights. And then we charge them to actually be able to pay out these settlements. That's how this cycle works. And that's exactly how American policing needs to be reformed. Uh, we're going to uh, keep up with this case uh, and see what happens and whether the feds jump into it. Charles Coleman Jr., thank you. Very much appreciated. And that is tonight's readout. Get the latest updates on this year's high-stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com win.